podcast fans, it's not every day that you have a college basketball coach, a high school basketball coach, and a baseball coach all in one. Well, that is who we have today on the Greatest Games Podcast. Eddie Ward of New Jersey's had a variety of stops around the game and both games. And what an incredible episode this is. A great presence, a great man, a great teacher of the game, and just a great, all-around great guy. And again, we can't wait to bring you this episode. But before we do, we encourage you to check out teachhoops.com slash 816basketball for incredible coaching content from the incredible Steve Collins. Again, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. And you've heard us talk about him a lot. Billy Kegler, just what a what a great guy. And also a great podcast host. Check out the Competitive Mindset Podcast and Hoop Nerds Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Again, Billy Kegler absolutely rolling in the podcast game. Let's head on into the studio with today's episode of Eddie Ward. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their life in coaching and their greatest game. That is right, Chris de Blasio. And I tell you what, it's been, you know, I think I was thinking about the term uh, earlier today as we were we were hot and heavy early on pandemic. Uh, we were recording and releasing three episodes a week. I mean, we were just absolutely just rolling. And then things started opening back up and it was twice a week. And then after a while, it was just once a week. And now what I feel like, Chris, I think what we're doing now is uh, inconsistently intermittent maybe or consistently intermittent. I don't know what it is, but it's about every couple of weeks that we'll find a guest that we want to bring to the airwaves. And we've been able to do that today. He has been around basketball for a long time, but currently now coaching travel baseball. And he's most recently been in college basketball at Ramapo with our old friend, Chuck McBreen. Uh, But to welcome to the podcast, coach Ed Ward. Thanks for coming on. Ryan and Chris, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to answer any questions you have about my coaching background. Well, Brian, we have a good one here because coach Ward is a talker. So we might only have to ask like two questions the whole time here. That's great. I love it. Are you saying I got a gift to Gab? (laughs) You do. You do. Coach, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey in coaching, uh, both basketball and baseball, and I think maybe a few other sports, just kind of your journey in coaching and what's brought you to where you are today. Well, I've been coaching a long time. I might be one of the few guys that's been a a college basketball and a college baseball coach. Uh, Let's talk about my basketball background. You know, I was the inaugural – I'm not going to mention that I was a JV and a freshman basketball coach because I want to move on as a high school head coach and going on to my college background. But my first head coaching job, I was the head basketball coach at Satterbrook High School. I was aware that the program was in disarray and all that stuff. The thing that I didn't know was when I read the Bergen, after I was approved and it was in a Bergen record the next day, and I took a program over that was on a 66-game losing streak. So it was like crazy. And all my friends were saying, what are you doing? You know, and all that stuff. But, you know, you got to get your start someone to be a head coach. So that I did. My first year, we – we only had 13 players in the whole program. So basically we played a varsity and a JV schedule. 
And I'm trying to piecemeal a JV team and all that because I had freshmen playing varsity with me. So we were fortunate the first year to win four and five and six. Then I had a special group of sophomores that were coming up that were playing with seniors. And we went back down to losing three games. But then the next two years, we were we, we had over 500 records and we were able to make the uh, state tournament on the group one level. And um, then I, I stayed there one more year. And then I got offered the opportunity to be the head coach at Paquanic High School. And the reason for that was Ted Fiore, who was a legendary coach on a college level at St. Peter's University, then at Montclair State. When he left St. Peter's, he was the vice principal at Paquanic. He says, we're looking for a coach. We got a good uh, good group of freshmen. At the time, they were 23 and uh, two on a year. So I interviewed for the job. Luckily, I got the position, and then I was able to coach that year. Five of the, my first seven players that I, that I played on my rotation were, uh, were sophomores, and that year we qualified for the state tournament also. Then it came time. Uh, when Coach Fury decided to take the Montclair State job, he asked me to come on board as his assistant. We've been friends for for about 35 years. I always wanted to be a college basketball coach. It didn't matter what level. And I went there for 14 years, and um, we had success. We even had an, uh, we won the conference championship in 2003, which also included an NCAA bid where we went to the Sweet 16. And then I took took a little time off, and then, I called Chuck McBean to see if he needed any assistance. I was there for two years, and then I decided to stop coaching basketball. And the reason it had nothing to do with Ramapo and all that stuff. You know, from where I lived to Ramapo was like sometimes over an hour ride, and you know, I just wanted to move on on that. But I still, on the side, still coach for coach. I mean, scouted for Coach McBean, uh, the different opponents that he might be playing during the year. So that, that's my basketball background. And you want me to speak to baseball now? Well, we could do that later. Now, I'd, I'd love to hear some about the baseball as well, Coach. Sure, I'll be glad to talk about it. Again, my, my first varsity head coaching job in the high school was at David Burley High School. Uh, it was a, a small school. I coached there for two years. And then it was funny. I went to a, a major league tryout at Nash Park in Clifton. Just, just, you know, just killing time for, you know, because our high school season was over. And I met Dennis Sasso, the head baseball coach at FDU. And he said he was looking for an assistant. And then, you know, we we, we actually uh, went to lunch and he gave me an interview and he offered me the job right then and there. So I was the assistant coach at FDU and, and the recruiting coordinator at FDU for 12 seasons. We uh, we had three conference championships uh Unfortunately, the the one well, the regular season conference championships, and the one year that we were in a conference championship, they started a conference tournament. Well, unfortunately, winning winning the conference tournament, we never got a bid into the NCAA tournament. But our nineteen eighty eight teams uh, still has a school record and wins first season at FDU with twenty eight. Then from there, I, I was there for twelve seasons. Then from there, I became the inaugural head coach at Felician College, which is now called. Felician University, and uh, in the a, in a first year was all recruiting. The next two years was coaching, and we were fortunate that our baseball team made the conference tournament twice that year. And our second season, 
Uh, we finished in second place in a regular season. Uh, our first year, we were uh, fifth. So that was, that was a goal. And then from there, um, the reason why I left, they had promised some things in the interview that didn't materialize. So I decided to move on. And for eight seasons, I was the head at night. I said, assistant baseball coach, recruiting coordinator at NJIT. Uh, four years, we, five years, we were on a Division two level. And then we made the transition to Division one, which they are now. Then, then I left. And now all I'm doing right now is I'm coaching travel baseball because uh, you know, I coach 17 new kids. And the reason for that is with my contacts of different colleges throughout the Northeast area, hopefully helping kids get into college also. So that's my background as a coach. So uh, a couple of things I want to say, Coach, before I ask a question. Brian has gotten a great education in this podcast of North Jersey or New Jersey Athletics College and professional. We've had uh, Dave DeFerrari on, who I believe coached basketball at Felician College for a number of years. Um, we've had some FDU Madison people on. What's the guy's name, uh, Rose? Oh, um, it's Chris de Blasio. Give me a moment. Let me he see. was a coach at FDU Madison for, for a bunch of years. Basketball coach. Oh. Shoot. Roger No, he now coaches. He's an assistant at Harrison now. Why can't I think of his name? I got his name in my phone. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, so Brian's gotten an education in hearing about all these different places. And Montclair State, of course, is where the great John Ziemba played college basketball. We John Ziemba. John Ziemba. We, we used to play each other. He was the hardest guy to prepare for because he had 90 million different sets. <laughs> on offense and you know and so and I, I i prided myself on scouting just like you do chris and i'd be figuring out well how do we get through this screen that screen and all that stuff but we always <laughs> we always had good 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 games and good rivalries and john's one hell of a coach <laughs> and uh, the last thing i want to add was brian definitely wanted to know about your baseball background brian and i are basketball guys we have baseball in our soul um brian's father was a <clears throat> was an excellent college baseball player uh, 1959, Brian. That's right. Yep. That He's is the 1959 All ACC first baseman. I love bragging about that, and he wasn't even my dad. He's Brian's dad. Okay. What college did he play at, Brian? He played at the University of South Carolina, he, and is. He's one of those guys that he never told me that until very late in his life. Or I think I Googled it one time. I'm like, Dad, were you All ACC? And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I was. I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well. My background with baseball, I played high school baseball at St. Patrick's uh, High School, which they, you know, now it's, it's changed its name to the Patrick School. Uh, and the now it's just a factory. Uh, it's a, f a factory, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's like, again, just get so many kids coming in there. Uh, back then, we were like a regular uh, parochial B high school. We had good teams in basketball and baseball. Matter of fact, the team I played on in 1976, my senior year, uh, we we have the school record of wins with 21. And then in college, I played at Kane University, just a, a role player, average player, but I got to play college baseball. And you know, and, and then from there, I, I started my coaching. It's something that I like to do. Uh, people ask me what I like more. I said it didn't matter. Basketball I didn't mind putting on the suit. And baseball, I didn't mind putting on the baseball uniform. I just enjoyed the challenges. And the challenges also prepare you for life, which is very important. And I, I try to share those challenges with, with players that I coach and how it can lead, so they understand adverse situations in life.
So did you know you always wanted to be a coach? I, yeah, I actually started coaching Little League when I was 12 years old. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I did that, and uh, I just kept doing it. You know, it, it was just a passion of mine. So uh, so that I, 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 I'm probably going to coach till, till the good Lord says I, I got to go, go up to heaven if he, <laughs> if he wants me to go to heaven. So <laughs> that's a story there, but I just enjoy coaching. Coach, you know, I, I think it's fascinating that you to- coasted high levels of basketball and high levels of high levels of baseball. And I'm looking and doing some research as you're talking and uh, learning about you. You have had uh, at this point in this uh, this article was 23 of your players, your baseball players, signed a major league or an independent baseball contract with one of them making it to the major leagues. So you've obviously coached high level baseball and obviously with uh, college basketball as well as I mentioned earlier. Um, what would be one of the things that you feel like is similar in both? baseball players and basketball players as they are trying to uh, take their game to the next level is, are there any similarities to uh, kids that maybe don't make it uh, in both of those sports where they just, they fall short in this area here? I just, I'm just curious about some of those similarities of, of, of between those sports. Well, yeah, the, again, everyone, you know, every, everyone has that dream of wanting to play on a professional level, whether it be uh, uh NBA, major leagues, or whatever. I mean, I just have my nephew, who's now the assistant baseball coach recruiting at the University of Hartford. Um, and he, that's where he played college baseball, too. Well, he played four years of independent ball, hoping to get that dream to p- get a shot into, into pro ball. And he realized, hey, the time has come to move on. But again, you know, the scouts around here are, I feel, are different than the scouts like down south, Brian. Um, the scouts up here, they tend to look more for the, of the, for the negative in a player. Does he run well, this and that? Where the scouts from down south, they'll take a chance on players like that. I, I, and I'm wondering if that's because down south, you got the better weather and all that. We're up here. Here it is, May, May, May 8th today, and I'm still wearing my sweatshirt, watch my niece play college softball. So you're wondering if it's that. Um, I, I think the players up in this area have a better work ethic, not to say the players down South don't work, but because they know they got to grind and grind and grind to get to, get to that level. So, uh, that's, that's, that's the thing I feel that, you know, they got to work harder here, but yet, you know, the scouts up here, if there's a limitation on a player that they'll talk about it, but you know, it's hard selling a scouting director of an organization to take a chance on someone when they, maybe there's a kid on the same level in, in a in warm weather climate who maybe has the same um, short shortage in a the skill, they'll take a chance on the kid because I think a lot of it has to do with the weather. Interesting. Although I will say from a Southern basketball coach, I once learned, you know where I'm going, Brian? Wim Sanderson? Wim. Oh. You know, Wim. Chris, let me ask you one question. Did you wear a jacket like Wimp Sanderson with all the plaids and all that stuff? I didn't know. I didn't dress like like Wimp. We we worked with Wimp Sanderson's son at the University of South Carolina, so we got to spend a lot of time okay. with Wimp. And he once was sitting there after after a meal. He would just sit there and hold court, and you would just sit there and listen because you were going to hear great stories. And he always said, "Never go see a player after you've already signed them, because all you do is find out everything you can't do." 
once you sign him to a scholarship, you so said, then you go see him and you're like, oh, this guy can't dribble with his left hand. What did I, what did I sign him for a scholarship for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's the same thing when I, when I, again, I recruited for basketball and, and baseball. That, that's, that's a great thing because, you, you know, you, you want to get a player who you feel can contribute. And then all of a sudden, when the kid comes, comes to your program, <laughs> find out he can't do this or do that. So that, mm-hmm. that, is, that is a true statement from Coach Sampson. <laughs> And then the head coach looks at you and goes, like, I think it was uh, a junior college player, Brian, who was famous for one of his quotes. I won't say his name, but you probably know who I'm talking about. And and I think Coach Odom said to Coach Duckett one time, I thought you told me he could rebound. <laughs> 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 so, um, Coach, what do you love about coaching baseball? I want to ask about baseball. Well, what what – it's, you know, they're, they're, the sports are so different because you know, basketball is sort of that continuous back and forth, whereas baseball, you have time sort of between pitches, between batters, and the game is a, a little, I don't want to say slower. It's a different, um, you know, they're just played at different paces. What do you like about coaching baseball? Is it is it in-game? Is it before the game? Well, when I was a coach, okay, um, especially on the college level, you're fortunate to get scattering reports on, on teams. So the day before a conference series, we would work on certain things that the teams may do that we have to defend. And then naturally, you know, when it comes to game strategy, it, it, it makes it simple. Like, you know, because you, you get to see the team, the other your opponent. Like, for example, if the catcher doesn't have a strong arm, well, we're going to steal all day. Um, if the runners, if, the, um, if they don't play up on – for bunts, well, we're going to look the bunt. We try to look for any weakness to make ourselves uh, take advantage of, of us trying to win a win a ball game. So uh, again, baseball has diff- different different strategies, different challenges. Please don't talk to me about analytics because I don't like analytics. Just play the game the right way. Do the little things. I mean, it's funny. I had a. I was at a little league game about five years ago. You don't love this story. And I'm watching a game, and this mother is taking video of her son. And again, it's it's, it's a 12-year-old game. So the kid didn't have a great day. And his last at bat, he goes, he pops up. So she's walking out to the car with him after the game, and she goes, Johnny, we got to go to the batting cage 12. We got to get you to get that launch angle better. 12 years old. You kidding me? I, I don't even want to know launch angle. I just want to know, can you play the game? Launch angle. Just hit a line drive. It's a base hit. <laughs> yep, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But it's it's, it's just crazy. And basketball, you know, again, there's all different strategies. I mean, you know, when I scouted, you know, for Chuck or Ted Fury, I'd always look look at how to defend certain plays, Um what, what we had to take away and what, what opportunities we have. Like, for example, we're fa- facing a zone. Uh, if we're going to see zone, where, where are the gaps in the zone on, on offense? How do they play maybe plays where maybe we use pick and roll or how do they defend down screens? And, you know, again, it, it prepares you, to, it prepares you to, to win for a ball game. So I always, you know, whenever it came time on the floor to do scouting reports, both coaches let me, let me do what I had to be done and uh, – if there is something that was out of the ordinary when I'm going through the scouting report, the co- we, I would ask coach so the players could see it. How do we want to defend this? And then, then you know, the head man makes the decision. I mean, I'll make a suggestion. 
If they like it, fine. If not, got to move on. Coach Fiore always said this when he was on the bench. Keep throwing me suggestions. Keep throwing me suggestions. I admit, I, I'm hearing you. If I don't use it, don't take it personal because, again, I got I got other things on my mind that may help us win. You know, Brian, Brian wants to ask a question, but that's really funny you say that, Coach, because I, <clears throat> I would say that to my assistant the last three years when I was the head coach at Saddlebrook. I would say, I, I hear you. Don't think I don't hear. I hear everything you're saying. Just because I don't use it, I'm internalizing it. And somebody, uh-huh. I would just tell him that. So not that I thought he felt bad, but I just wanted him to know, like sort of like you're saying, Coach Fiore would say, I, I, I hear you. Yep. Well, I got to tell you a funny story. When I was the basketball, assistant basketball coach at Johnson Regional High School, I worked for a legendary coach, Steve Petrozelli, who I really learned a lot of my basketball from. He's presently Phil Colicchio's right-hand man at Elizabeth High School. So, uh, as you know, in the last three years, Elizabeth's won the Group 4 championship, and this year they advanced to the semifinal round of the tournament champions. So this is a funny story. So I would tell Steve, Steve, we got three timeouts left. The other assistant next to me said, Steve, we got three timeouts left. The third assistant said, Steve, we got three timeouts left. He turns around and goes, I know. A, a monkey can tell me that that there's three timeouts left. How about give me some other suggestions? <laughs> Coach, I, this is going to be an opportunity probably for you to brag on yourself a little bit. Uh, I've gotten to know you here in the short about 17 minutes, and I can tell that you exude just coach. You're a coach. Uh, fascinated by the way you said you were coaching, coaching, and all of a sudden you just took a couple years off. And then you call up our, as I mentioned earlier, our good friend Chuck McBreen, and he hires you. So how does somebody that just takes some time off uh, get hired to be an assistant college basketball coach? How did that happen? Well, see, I, 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 I've known Chuck. I mean, when I was at Montclair State and we played Rampo, they had great teams. Uh, one year we beat them in the conference championship to get us our NCAA bid. There were ties in conference championships. We'd, we'd upset them and all that. But we became good friends throughout the whole thing. And then when I asked to get back into, into the coaching, I guess, you know, he was aware I was Coach Fury's, uh, you know, top assistant and all that. And it was like a no-brainer. He just said, yeah, come on board. We, we can use you. So and it, was, it was fun. Uh, you know, it was, what was good about it is one year I got to go to Puerto Rico on a trip. And then the other year we got to go to Arizona on a trip, so that was that was nice also because Coach Refreen, <clears throat> excuse me, likes likes to travel different places. Well, let's be honest; those trips were good, but you had to deal with Coach Gabriel. So, oh yeah, that, that oh, minus yeah. Is, that cancels it right out having to deal with Pat. Oh, without <laughs> question, without <laughs> question. But no, Pat Pat was uh, Chuck's right hand man, so. Again, it wasn't an ego thing for me. If Chuck wanted me the fourth assistant and be responsible for this, that was fine. No, Pat, Pat, Pat's a hell of a coach too, as you can see. He got out of college coaching and had a, had an outstanding year at Denmark High School this year. Yeah, he did. They had a real good year, and he's got he's got some dudes coming too. He's got a bunch of young kids. He's going to be good for a bunch of years. Well, the best part there the, the amount of kids he gets for his basketball camps. When he told me yeah. what, how many how many kids he get and what he charges, he could retire. Just go. How <laughs> much money he's going to bring in? <laughs> well, I'm going to need to call him up then because I need to work some camp this summer to make some oh, money. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll put you to work without a doubt. 
<laughs> you ever work coach the embers camps? All the time. Oh, I used to work them. They were great. Oh, they're the best. They are the best. Oh, yeah. We'll tell some off-air stories about that because I know okay. stuff I can't say on here. <laughs> well, Coach, why don't you tell us about – we talked to you briefly before about uh, some of the – or before the before the podcast when we started about that you may have had some, a few games that you consider your greatest games. And try, try to give us one or two um, really games that stand out as kind of the greatest games you were a part of as a coach. Well, one of the games that I was part of a coach that I feel was important was our first win to end that. As I told you, I took over the program. It was a 66-game losing streak. It got to 68. And uh, it was funny. My assistant coach, John Piccarello, and I I knew John because he played for me when I was the assistant baseball coach at FDU, says we could beat this team. But he comes back with a scouting report with only four players on his play. And I, I, could, I knew it was the flex because I could tell by the diagram. I said, John, where's the fifth guy? And he was like embarrassed. He goes, coach, we can win. We're down by 24 points with six minutes to go in the first half. No. and uh, Elmwood, We played Elmwood Park, who I've been there. At, that t- oh. at that time was not, was, not a, was not a good program at the time. Somehow we got our act together. We're down nine at halftime. And what I did was I switched the matchup zone. And they, they were just bombing away. And luckily, we, you know, we always talked about long rebounds. You got to get depth, get the ball. Now the second half, we actually win the game by 20. So you're talking about a 44-point swing in the game. So back then, I don't know if you guys remember, they, they used to have the show MSG Varsity. Well, what yeah. happened was I sent them the tape of our game, and we were actually on MSG Varsity with the highlights and all that stuff. And some of the things that we did in that game were great. And then I would say the other big win that I have – this. Was well, wait, coach, of- coach, before you get to that, I want to talk about that, that game. So it was a 68-game losing streak. You obviously had some kids that had been part of the, the first 66 games or at least part of those games. Correct. What was that like for those kids to get a win? And what was the importance of that win to those kids? It was very special. They were so excited um, just winning the game. And I see, I'm a different type of coach. I'm an old school guy where I'm tough. You know, you're going to do things right, detail-oriented. And And these kids weren't used to it. And I remember opening day, we played Lodi. We lost by 40, but the guy kept his best player with two, ma- two minutes to go. And when we shook hands, I said, payback is a bleep when I shook his hand. And, and the, kids, the kids were like, coach, we like that. You're sticking up for us. I said, yeah, you're, you're my family. We're going to get this going and all that stuff. And then, then we had our home opener where it's funny. I bought 100 T-shirts. I threw them up to the crowd and all that stuff, to the kids and all that stuff. And they all loved it. And because no one was going to the games when I was told, now it generated interest in all that stuff. We lost that game by 27. And um, what, what was ironic was the coach of that team at Garfield was Steve Persiello, great coach. Never beat him in my seven years at Saddleback because he he had his, he always was prepared against us and take away certain things in our offense. So what happened was when the game was over, I'm sorry, we were getting blown out 
but I still kept our kids in. Unfortunately, I was still pressing. And again, I'm, I'm the new, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a varsity coach. He says, Ed, that's not good to press when, when, we, when we got our, you know, our subs in because we, we could we could run this up, the score you up being one. So I went on their bus. I said, guys, look, I apologize for pressing. And the reason, and I said, the reason being is I'm trying to develop a winning culture here. So I want them to work hard at the end. I assure you the next time that we play, um, if you're beating us by a lot, I will not be pressing at the end of the game. And that was a team that had Wayne Forbet, the former wide receiver of the Jets, on that team. That team had 3,000-point scores at Garfield. <clears throat> um, Chris Chris Annabelle, you know Chris Annabelle, right? Chris, yeah, he's now part of the Jamboree Committee coach there, yeah. Chris Annabelle was a 1,000-point scorer, Wayne Corbett and John Sanders. So, again, that, you know, right away we got we got two two games that uh, were tough. But the kids just, just played hard for me. Or not me, but for 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 the team, uh, the whole game. Even when we got down, you know, twenty four points. I, I you know I, I got on them a little bit. I said, hey, just keep fighting. Good things are going to happen. You just got to keep battling, keep battling, keep battling. And then when we won the game, it was like, it's like you, you, the, the joy these kids had and all that stuff. You know, they were, you know, they were pouring. They were pouring water on themselves, you know, having fun. And actually, I'm coaching in a suit. They said, <clears throat> Coach, can we pour water on you? I said, yeah, go ahead. They didn't throw, pour water. They threw the whole – put the whole Gatorade bottle on me or the Gatorade jug. So – but that was a fun experience then. And then <clears throat> the process of building the whole basketball program, that was the challenge, the off-season workouts. You know, we, what we did is we went to FDU team camp for three weeks, so they got 30 games in the summer. And, you know, I, you know, we'd work our workouts around because kids were football and baseball players. And so that was fun. And then, then, then the work in the offseason when we got back to school in the weight room and all that, those, those were the challenges that the kids believed in. And I, I remember, as I said, my program, the first year, I had 13 total kids to where it got to be my last year, we had to make cuts because everyone liked – the atmosphere for basketball. Then at the point with basketball, we were getting big crowds. Uh, Chris, I, I'm sure you, you know, when you were coaching at, at Satterbrook, they only had one side of the bleachers out, correct? That was the same when I started at Satterbrook, but when, as we got better, the other side of the bleachers were coming up. So, they, you know, it, it made it like, like a great atmosphere to coach and all that. And then my other, other win that was big was when we beat, Actually, it's two wins in college. I'm going to bring them up. <laughs> we beat Ramapo in the conference in the conference championship in 2003 when, when um, we won the championship, or when we won the championship that year in the conference. They were they were they were the number one seed. They they were great. They were great. Matter of fact, that year they went to the Elite Eight. And um, so when, when we um, when we beat them, that was good and all that stuff because it got us a home, a home game in the NCAA tournament against Elizabeth Town, who we beat. And um, then the, the other the other win was, you know, after winning the conference, was playing Catholic University in the second round of the NCAA tournament. The year before, Catholic University was the national champions. So the NCAA has it scripted out when you can go out and warm up, this and that. Everything is like you got to be, you know, even when you get there, you know, your practice before a game, you only have X amount of time and all that. Well, we go on a court 
40 minutes before game time, the place is packed already, all in red. I mean, it's like, you know, it's red. Well, we're, we're losing by one at halftime. And I still remember this. Our assistant coach, Darren Rowe, made a great suggestion. They were an offense that predominantly, you know, ran everything to the right side. He goes, let's force them to go left. Well, as we come out the second half, who walks in the gym? The Montclair State lacrosse team. They had a scrimmage down by Catholic University. We got, we, they got like 40 players coming in, and they're like, yeah, now they're supporting us and all that. Now the second half goes on. We wind up beating Catholic by 19, all because Coach Rowe made that suggestion for us to win. There was an old-timer in the stands. As we're coming out of the locker room to go on our bus, he goes, goes to Coach Fitt. Coach, I've been watching Catholic basketball for 50 years. I've never seen our boys get an ass kicking that, that you gave us. So those were those were the best wins that I that I was involved with, with uh, basketball. Coach, I'm curious about your belief because uh, in to me in both those stories, but especially the first story, I'm I'm really drawn to that one. Uh, that many losses in a row, that type of uh, I don't even say it's the culture, but it's just like oh, we're just we're probably going to lose again. Um, how how did you yeah, let's start there. How did you keep yourself believing like, hey, you know what? We can do this. We can do this. And for you to not pull the plug and say, you know what? I'm just, I can't do it here. I'm going to take another job. What was that like for you? Well, this is my first job. And, you know, after being an, an assistant coach at, at other schools, it's my program. I could develop it, it any way I want. And, you know, through the coaches that I was around, again, like Chris, we talked this morning on WFAN, going to clinics, going to watch college practices. I developed my own philosophy. And for, for this thing to work, they have to understand, <clears throat> you know, I can't be the guy and say negative things because they'll turn these kids off and then, I, then all of a sudden, if they quit, I may not have a team to coach. I just had to be as positive as possible. Yeah, there were times I was demanding. The kids seen that I was demanding, but they knew I was for them and all that. You know, I would get excited, for example, over little things, taking a charge. Because some of these kids didn't know how to take a charge when we started. Kids were turned sideways, you know. It was, but when we talked about different things, how to prepare prepare for a game, they were all were willing to buy it because when we got that first win, it might have been tougher if, let's say, we won our first win, like maybe in game 16. But to get it right away, it it was it was very good, and which led to us we were in the Woodridge Christmas tour and we beat Woodridge in the first round of that tour. So right away we're two and two, we're two and two already, and people are, are like want to give me the key to the city, and I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> that's that's how the atmosphere was. But again, it was something that people were talking about in town, and they saw the way the kids play, even when we lost. They all wanted to – it was like a night out for the people in Saddlebrook to come watch us play and how hard the kids performed on the court, win, lose, or draw. Yeah, that's – it's funny you said uh, after about 16 games because my first year at Saddlebrook, we were 0-17 before we won our first game. Mm-hmm. And after that <clears throat> first win, I told the kids, you know, to be proud that they were 1-17. I said, because a lot of kids would have stopped coming to practice 
at 0 and 10, at 0 and 12, at 0 and 13. And you guys kept coming to get that first win. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I did too, Chris, I changed the culture. I gave him dress code to the games. I made him wear nice pants, nice shirt. We, we ordered uh, sweaters. It's in Saddlebrook basketball on it. I didn't make them wear ties. You know, I, I left that up to them. But we'd be walking into the gym. And when, you know, when opponents were playing us in the past, they figured all they got to do is show up. They don't even have to play a great game and they were going to beat us. So we came in, you know, looking sharp and all that. And uh, the kids, the other teams knew they were in for a fight no matter what. And that, that that's what I was always proud of. But when, as, as the years went on, Kids, kids wanted to wear a tie with with the with the clothes that we were wearing. You know, they you know they wanted they wanted to feel good about going to a basketball game and try to play. So that was good. You know, besides coaching kids about sports, you want to coach them about life. You know, little things. When I'm talking, huddle, get your eyes on me. Uh, wear the uniform the right way. How many times I tell kids tuck your shirt in? All this stuff, because this is what it's all about. Athletics is an extension of their life for them to become successful people. And, uh, you know, it teaches how to, f- how to be good. It teaches you how to feel uh, on that. And um, so, uh, again, then that was a theory I always use coaching, even now when I'm coaching travel baseball. To be good, you got to know how to feel. So failure is probably going to come first before success. That's something that we talk talk a lot about on this show, Coach. Just being able to to fail and I, I, allowing kids to fail, uh, for parents to allow kids to fail, for administrators, for coaches to allow kids to fail. I think it's so huge, and I think it's I love hearing what you're talking about changing culture, just even down to the, the pants that the kids are wearing. And uh, you talk about that sweater with the logo on it. I was reading uh, Bill Walsh's book. The name of the book escapes me right now. But he talked about how important when he took over the 49ers, that logo, he said to we're taking care of that logo where where he wouldn't let guys put the helmet on the ground. They had to take care of that logo. And if you got a piece of 49ers gear, you took care of that because that's our brand. That's who we are. And I'm I'm hearing that and what you're talking about. I think that's really special. Well, when I'm coaching baseball, I'm going to share you a story. It's funny. I, I, I told my kids every game, your uniform is clean. Because sometimes kids don't even, some kids don't even wash their uniform, you know. But I want to clear. I said, or else you're not playing. You got to be on time. If you don't text me that you're running late, because I understand it could happen and all that. Don't expect to play. And I tell the parents that too. But getting back to the one story, um, when I talked about clean uniforms, I, mean, I had a player parent. I had a player named Blaze Aaron Zool. He went, he went to Somerville High School, played baseball at at the University of Utah because his father played baseball out there. Puts his hand up. He goes, Coach, i got to ask you a question. When we have a doubleheader, are there laundry mats by these fields so we can wash our uniform in between games? <laughs> Everyone busts that laugh. I said, no, Blaze, if we have a doubleheader, you, you wear the uniform that you have, or you don't have to go run into a laundromat and all that stuff. And the kid was really serious about it. So, but, you know, the kid, the kid's very successful. Now he's a time realtor out in Utah right now, so which was good. Well, there's a great story about Kurt Flood and doubleheaders and washing uniforms. That's a whole that's a whole other thing for a whole other podcast that I'll tell you. 
Um, we'd like to thank Coach Ward for coming on the Greatest Games podcast this afternoon with us or this evening with us. Thank you, Coach. Not a problem. I, if, if ever down the road you need someone to fill in a slot spot, just let me know. I, I love to talk sports, whether it be coaching, uh, individual, different types of sports, uh, how to prepare players for life. I just love doing it. I, I just love being around uh, young adults and student athletes because yeah. I, I tell them I'm, I'm like your adopted father, you know, <laughs> and I, when I coach you, if I get on you, it's called tough love. So there you go. And we'll have you on again before we have that Ziemba guy on, that McBreen guy. You know, McBreen, we got to bleep out every other word when we have him oh, on. Oh, you know, put, it, put all three of us on. That, that'll be a show. <laughs> well, that'll, uh, we'll put a button on this episode for my co host, Brian Rosefield. I'm Chris de Blasio, and you're listening to The Greatest Games.